cliffcentral.com. So I'm not going to give this man a long introduction because um, if you've heard of him, you already know everything you need to know. And if you haven't heard of him, you need to. So Tim Urban has been writing stick figure illustrated posts on his blog, Wait But Why, all the way since 2013. And this is his first book, but he is going to write many more. And I can guarantee you the way that he makes sense of things, people are going to be clamoring for it. He is Tim Urban. It's such a pleasure to see you, Tim. And well done on this book. It's tremendous. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. So I, I don't even know where to begin except to tell you that normally when I have to review books and there are a lot of those that come along and most of them are fascinating, but really I, I skim through and I kind of, I'll look at one or two pages, then skip a few, go to the next one. And I was going to do that with your book, but I found myself absolutely engrossed, perhaps because I'm sick of having arguments with my friends, uh, the people who are ideologically not my friends, uh, people in broad society, people on my show. I'm sick of having discussions about stuff where we end up in a stalemate because nobody really knows what the defining principles are and no one can really define the problems that we have. And your book has gone a long way to helping me figure out much of that. And I have to say, it was an absolute pleasure going through it from the very beginning until the very end. And I just love the book. Here it is so that people know right up front. It's called What's Our Problem? A Self-Help Book for Societies, um, Tim Urban. So listen, uh, first of all, well done. Where did the idea come from to do this? Were you also frustrated with getting stuck? Yes. Uh, and as a writer, I... Um... I, I'm a blogger, right? I'm on my own platform. I, I can write about whatever I want. Um, and um, and I, but I noticed like two concurrent trends. Um, one was that um, the society I lived in seemed to be, you know, you can almost see like society has kind of is like if it's a giant organism, um, you know, people grow up as they age, but societies don't really, they, 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 they grow more mature and wise and then they die, then they kind of digress and they go back down to, um, uh, you know, t times of, uh, I don't know, there people are, there's mobs, there's witch hunts, there's tribalism yeah. uh, is, is on the yeah. rise and, even a casual reading of history will show you that not every society survives and the ones that do ultimately have a, a call time as well. You know, it's actually really most of the great civilizations have not survived. And, and it's, you know, technology seems to go up, 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 but wisdom mm -hmm. is cyclical. You know, it, it, it's, 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 you know, we start acting like witch burners in yeah. 2020. Um, but it's like, huh? That was like from the 1600s. Why are we doing that right now? Or you look at like Nazi Germany and you're like, how could that happen? Um, mm -hmm. And it's like, these are the same people. They're not different than us. They're not worse than us. It's just that humans have the capacity to kind of in groups uh, um, kind of ascend and descend this, this like, you know, and this cycle of, of wisdom. So I'm noticing on one hand, it seems like we're on the, one of these down slopes. Mm. Um, and, and at a time when technology is, like it tends to, but, you know, really exploding. So it's a time when like, we want to have our wits about us. Uh, and so that's going on. Now, meanwhile, I'm a writer and I can write about anything, except I don't want to write about this because there is all this external pressure I feel to stay away from it. And friends would tell me, don't, why, why would you ever take, get, get weighed into that stuff? Don't, you know, right. you don't have haters right now. You know, what, what, why would you do that? You know, right, right. You know, 
And I'm thinking, so it's not just me. If I'm feeling that, it's not just me. It means that all kinds of voices. I'm an independent voice, an independent platform. Um, you know, if I worked for a company or if I was reliant on, you know, um, on on if I on getting using a middleman company to publish my stuff or whatever, um, it would be even worse. So I'm thinking this must be going on throughout society. So we have this giant problem going on. This like this trend going in the wrong direction. And there's all this pressure to not talk about it, to not talk honestly about it, to keep it to private conversations because you don't want to be in the line of fire. And I'm like, okay, so that those things together, I was like, I'm going to write about this. And it was supposed to be a blog post and it turned into a much longer thing, a uh, book. But because um, I just, there was so much to say as it turns out, this topic is not a small topic. Um, but yeah, that's what got me into it. I mean, I'm just going to use a, a quote from the beginning of your book here. You said humans, and you've, you've kind of paraphrased some of this. So I'm not going to dwell on it too much. People can read the book themselves. But you say here, humans are supposed to mature as they age. But the giant human that we live in has got more childish every year. Tribalism, political division are on the rise. I don't think anyone will disagree about that. False narratives, outlandish conspiracy theories are flourishing, especially co post-COVID. Uh, major institutions are floundering. Medieval-style public shaming is back. Trust the critical currency of a healthy societies disintegrating. And these trends seem to be happening in lots of societies, not just yours. So what's the problem? Why in a time so prosperous with the stakes so high would we be going backward in wisdom? And you warn at the beginning of this, and I think you put a lot of things in, into perspective. Um, again, we, we tend to get so engrossed in our confirmation bias and, and many other things that we forget about the context of the time we're living in. Some of the most atrocious things humans have ever done to humans happened in the last hundred years. And, and in, in historical, in planetary, even in human species time, that's an absolute blip on the radar. We should have been getting to a point where we're more civilized and those kinds of things are a thing of the past. And what you warn, I think, either because it's a really, really good way to get people to pour themselves into the book, or it's because it's bloody terrifying and it's true is that if we go wrong now with all this technological capability, with the connectedness that we've never had before, it could be the most dire mistake we make, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's kind of this worrying concept, which is that um, technology makes good times better and bad times worse. More technology um, means kind of, you know, better good times, worse bad times. So the, the perfect easy example is the 20th century. Um, mm -hmm. It was the best century ever on so many metrics, GDP per capita, life expectancy, general, yeah. you know, medicine and, and health and the curing of diseases and um, poverty, the amount of people in extreme poverty, um, women's rights. I mean, there's so many examples, democracy, you know, around the world of like this, this was you know, clearly the best century ever. Also, the same century had the biggest, most catastrophic wars in human history, um, had uh, the biggest genocides ever, um, had the, you know, and introduced existential risk, like, like species wide, like we might go extinct if something goes wrong risk mm -hmm. for the first time ever no no other century can say that if if something <laughs> happens if the the wrong leader does the wrong makes the wrong move um 
the entire species might be. And that's never impossible. Suddenly we have nukes. Then we have stuff like climate yeah. change. These like big, you know, because technology means we have so much power as a species. It's like we're, we're, we're getting, it's almost like we're just like our, our footprint's getting bigger. We're stomping around. We're getting more and more powerful. And we're getting these magic wands that can do these incredible things. And it's like at some point, um, you know, those things can, that's, it, it, it becomes kind of very precarious. Those same magic wands in general that kind of give us all this prosperity uh, can totally wipe us out. And so then I took turn to the, then, you know, our future. So we can see all these paradigm shifts. Um happening uh, across different industries, you know, we're like, you know, technology is exploding in so many different areas and groundbreaking developments um, in genetic engineering and nanotechnology and in artificial intelligence in multiplanetary, you know, colonization um, in brain machine interfaces, you know, the, these, you know, in, in, in Neuralink. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, Neuralink, um, uh, you know, things like CRISPR, you know, that we, the ability to, and then you involve AI with that and right. what can it do? This is incredible, but also like now you can have bioweapons are way easier to create and nuclear, you know, you know, we thought we were kind of done with like thinking about nuke, nuke as a threat. And now it's like, well, we're all kind of thinking about it again. AI obviously is kind of the, the, the ultimate example of something that can do wonders for us and also like could totally wipe us out. So that it was just like, we have to be smart right now. We have to be as, as wise as we can. And yeah, we seem to be so, doing the, the opposite. So this is where you break things down really well. And I've also got to just advise anybody who's, you know, trepidatious about this because they look at these subjects and they go, Oh God, no, I don't want to bite off that massive elephant. It's going to take me a long time to digest this, but what you do and you've done it on your blog for years is you, you help people understand and I don't mean this in any patronizing way because I, I think of myself as moderately intelligent and I didn't find any of this like childish or an idiot's guide type style. I, I love the way that you are able to, in, in, in you know pictures, sometimes tell a better story than in words. You include lots of these in here. I mean, for example, here's conviction and knowledge, which is, again, something that makes such sense when you break it down this way, um, where arrogance comes from, insecurity, and then how you want to be, especially if you think like a scientist, which is one of the things that you talk about in your book, in this humility sweet spot. And then you, you kind of detail what happens if you don't. If you go into the other zones, what kind of thinking you do. Essentially, and I, I don't want to simplify too much here because I do again think it would be valuable for everybody who's interested in having meaningful conversations and in safeguarding themselves from mind viruses, groupthink, terrible behavior, bad ideas, um, zealotry, all of that stuff for, for them to actually read this themselves. But essentially you break down a vertical, how we think, as opposed to just what we think the, the usual horizontal line on that graph, which is politics, you know, left and right and all the traditional stuff. I love this because it's, it's kind of, it's been bubbling around in most of our heads. We're not sure how to define it and you make it crystal clear. You explain it pretty simply and it feels like at the end of it, you've got a grip on what people are doing and how they're thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's all kinds of stuff that we think about that we don't necessarily have a language for. And when you don't have a, a language for something or terms to describe things, um, it kind of is hard to talk about. And, and it's hard to, you know, maybe it's, if, labels are just very helpful. Um, mm -hmm. And um, 
And I, I think we have we just have endless labels for what we think. Not just, you know, uh, are you on the left or the right politically, but are you a libertarian or are you um, a socialist or, um, you know, it's like there's, there's, you know, you know, economics, there's all kinds of schools of thought, right? You know, and, and we were so great at, at you know, kind of uh, uh, categorizing the different ways, the different things we might think, the different opinions um, and, the, and, and, and then labeling them and then putting them on axes and then pitting them against each other and whatever it is. And that's great. Like, I think it's good that we have all those labels. It's, it's, it's helps to have nuanced understanding of what the different areas of thought are. Um, but then we get to how we think. And it's like, um, if someone comes up to me on the street and they're like, you should take this pill. Probably going to say no. Cause I'm like, I, I don't have any, you don't know. Like, like, okay. What, what, that <laughs> conviction that you seem to have, um, is it based on knowledge? Uh, where, who are you? What's your background? How do you know what I need? You know, it's going to be all kinds of ways, I'm, reasons I'm going to say no. If I go to the doctor and they do a bunch of measurements and take blood and then they say, we think you should take this pill, I'll probably take the pill. And what I'm doing implicitly there is I'm, I'm, I'm putting them on a how you think axis. So they're both saying the same what you think. They have the same opinion. But the doctor, I'm going to put high up on the on the how you think axis and that rando on the street. It's a question mark. Maybe they're high up. Maybe they're low down, but I don't know. So I'm certainly not going to trust them. Now, that's obvious. That's an obvious example. But when someone has a strong political opinion, uh, they have a strong opinion about something to do with um, any kind of raging political issue. Um, we... We're so, we're so much more likely to judge what, you know, judge based on what they're, what they're saying. If they agree with us, we think they're a good thinker. If they disagree with us, we think they must be a bad thinker. And that's kind of making the how you think access also the what you think access. And that's not well, true. The how you think access should be a vertical you, thing. Yeah. You know, you also detail how it can go further than that they think like a bad person, but that eventually if you, if you are a zealot at the bottom, you think that they are a bad person, full stop. And, yeah. you know, we, we tend to make these value assessments and some of them are very good if you go up to the scientist and some of them, if you go down to the zealot, are very bad. But what I, what I also love about this is that you, you caution, you know, a lot of smart people, again, in inverted commas, smart people, you say here, in case you're thinking I'm a really smart person, so I'm safe from this low kind of thinking, the low rungs, Adam Grant has bad news for you. This is in the footnotes to show you how much I actually read of this book. Research reveals that the higher you score in an IQ test, I thought this was fascinating, the more likely you are to fall for stereotypes because you're faster at recognizing patterns. Now, I mean, that is so obvious when you read it, but nobody thinks that. People think, oh, well, I'm smart. I can pick up patterns, but they don't realize that those patterns are also helping them to establish and, 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 and even to strengthen the idea of stereotypes in their head no matter how unbigoted as as an unwieldy term they think they are right yeah i mean i i, I like to think of it as like everyone has a little lawyer in their head whose goal <laughs> is not to find the truth but to uh confirm you know confirmation bias to 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 mm. strengthen your current beliefs to to to, to feel right so to be, and that lawyer, uh, it's really smart people have a really smart lawyer. In lawyer. Yeah. 
who makes a <laughs> builds a really compelling case. Right. And uh, and so they talk themselves into their own bullshit very easily. Um, and they can be the most delusional of all um, because they, ha- they feel like they have backing for all of this. Um, and, um, and, you know, there's another character in our heads, the scientist. Um, and, you know, this simplifies kind of, it's a, it's a, it's like, um, a, a, a kind of a, uh, distilled version of this, how you think access, but basically when the scientist in your head, now the scientist, uh, what they just use the scientific method, right? The goal is to have hypotheses being humble about Approach. them. Approach things hum- humbly, yeah, right. Yeah, get, c- collect all kinds of info. And then test, ha- ha- test the hell out of it. Yeah, and and don't be um, don't don't be rooting for anything to be right. Don't 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 be attached to any one conclusion. Say, I'm just going to collect info. I'm going to assess it and assess where this info came from. Who who are the voices? How trustworthy are they? How much do I know about them? And uh, and then I'm going to come up with a hypothesis after I do that for a while. And then I'm going to go test it. I'm going to go argue it. I'm going to go find things that disagree with it and see how it stands up. And if it doesn't stand up, I'm not going to be upset. I'm going to happily change my mind because I just got new information. And now I'm going to eventually get to a really good hypothesis that stands up to testing and I can kind of elevate it to knowledge uh, and a status of it into knowledge in my head. And now I can, uh, now I know something. And now if we always thought like that, we'd always be, we'd be very, first of all, we'd say, I don't know all the time. We'd be very humble. Um, right. And we would be totally down to change our minds. And what we would end up with is we'd be incredibly knowledgeable, real knowledge. We'd have so much real knowledge and we'd be, mm. you know, we'd just be so such great thinkers. Um, but of course there's this other character. There's the attorney who has a totally different viewpoint who says, um, who's attached to the ideas, who feels like the ideas right. are part of who we are. And so if the idea is wrong, it means I must be stupid or wrong or bad or that people like me, all of my friends, we all agree with this. We, you know, I, I have to be like one of us. And so for all these weird human reasons, we get very attached. We identify with our ideas. And that's the attorney's job is to, is to protect those sacred ideas. And so it's kind of a tug of war between these two ways of thinking. And I think that we all have them going on. But when the scientist is winning out more, when we've learned to notice the attorney and say, no, 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 stop doing that. And really, you know, go through the pain of changing our minds and know that it's the right thing. Then I think we're a high rung thinker. We're up on the high rungs of this like ladder, which is kind of the, the how you think access. I make it a ladder. And then yeah, once you, we... When, yeah. Well, so it, it's fair to say you divided it into four, and we've, we've mentioned three of them already. There's the scientist, there's the attorney, which you mentioned, there's the zealot, but we've left out the sports fan. Do you just want to explain yeah. that way of thinking too? Because I so think I, to give people yeah. an idea, a lot of people understand what a sports fan is, but in terms of thinking. Right. So I simplified it to just like high-rung scientist and low-rung attorney, but really there's two high-rung rungs and two lower rungs. So it's like you have the scientist at the very top. That's the, the thinking that I described is when you're just totally, in, you're the boss of your ideas. Your ideas don't, can't tell you what to do. If you disagree, with, if you learn one of the ideas is wrong, kick it out, eject it, right? It's gone. Um, and the sports fan is the second rung. And what I mean by that is like a sports fan, as a sports fan, I will always think that my team got the wrong call. And, you know, I, I'm, I have this weird bias. Mm-hmm. But when the replay shows what really happened, I, I'm happy that it's the accurate call. I want the call to be accurate, even if it goes against my team. I don't want corrupt refs. I want my team to win fair and square, but I'm rooting really hard for a certain outcome. So when we think like that, we, we, we have confirmation bias. We definitely are attached to our ideas. We're rooting for them. We're maybe not so you know, uh, neutral in our thinking. But when push comes to shove, if someone presents me 
really good evidence, I will say, you know what? I guess I was wrong. It's a bummer, but I'll change my mind. So the scientist is just all about changing their mind. The sports fan mm -hmm. is reluctant, but they will. Now, once you pass the midpoint, the, you, that kind of low rung thinking is now um, the name of the game. So the attorney doesn't matter what evidence you present to the attorney when you're thinking like an attorney. It doesn't matter how good the evidence is. It, there's nothing you can say that will make them say, I guess I'm wrong. But they actually know a lot. They have a lot of information. They have all these, all these, you know, these arguments for why they're right. And they, 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 they've done a lot of research. They've just done cherry pick the research they want to read. But they, they know a lot. If you get to the very bottom, you have the zealot. And that's just like the extreme version of it's the opposite of the scientist. It's someone who not only will they never, ever change their mind, but they... Um, they don't even think they need to research. They don't even think they need any knowledge because obviously it's right. It's like the sky is blue. They're, they're, they're so deep in this like false conviction that they don't even you know, think that they need to put up an argument. They don't want to debate people. They, say, you know, they think debates are offensive and they'll say, and they think that anyone who disagrees with me, it's not that they're wrong or misguided. That it's like you said, they're, they're a bad, they're evil. They're, they must be, it's those people. It becomes extremely right. tribal. And so I said at the top, What's interesting is that, you know, those people at the bottom, they think they're such great thinkers, you know, I have so much conviction, but really what's happening is the scientist member is the boss of their ideas. They're actually the boss in their own head. When you get to the bottom, you are not the boss in your own head. Those ideas are your boss. You are a disciple, a faithful disciple of those ideas. And you'll completely destroy your own ability to collect knowledge. You'll end friendships over it in order to serve those ideas. Like you're a zealot, you're like worshiping those ideas. Um, so that's a, it's an interesting way to think about it, you know is that you're, you've lost your own ability to think independently. I, I, I love the breakdown. You also say that one of the greatest things about being in a human civilization is that you can, you can have like a mind meld. People can get together. Those connections produce even better ideas when they're in the scientist or even in the sports fan mode. They can create something called genies, uh, you know, uh, uh, conglomerations of many people thinking in the same way. And then if they're, if they're in the lower rungs, and they are working together, it can form what you call golems. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's something which you continue the theme of both of those through the book to great effect because you can see these things. You, you don't need a lot of imagination to know that we're creating these superstructures of thinking in society today. And, that, you know, if, they, if they're the genies, they, they create amazing ideas labs where people are constantly coming up with novel thoughts, concepts innovations and then if they're the golems they're creating essentially these these really destructive um power plays and and these these forceful and coercive very ugly forces in society yeah it's like hu humans can you know one of the magic of things about humans that doesn't apply to um, a lot of other kind of intelligent animals is that we can do mass cooperation the way ants and bees do mass cooperation. And we do it through kind of shared values or shared ideas. Um, and this is one of the reasons we can build this giant civilization, you know, that we all mm -hmm. live in. Um, but this kind of the part of the interesting thing about this ladder, the high rung kind of mindset and the low rung mindset is that it produces two totally different kinds of mass collaboration. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's like at the, the, the genie you mentioned, like, that's just the name I gave for when, when high rung thinking is kind of the name of the game. And this can be a small group. It can be 
two or three people, four, five, you know, a little startup company. It can be a classroom. It can be a bigger group. It can be a whole country. You know, each one of these in a, in a way is doing a version of this. Um, and when the name of the game is high rung thinking, it means as that applies to the group, it means that humility is valued. When you say, I don't know, it makes you seem smart and trustworthy. When you, um, uh, disagreement is, is fun and is interesting and is totally okay. No one takes it personally. Um, changing your mind is cool and expected. And, um, and a group of friends is, doesn't have to all agree. There's, there, it's totally yeah. cool for everyone to disagree. In fact, it's more interesting. It's kind of boring when everyone agrees. Um, and, and, and that's just, A, that's just better for the people in it. You become smarter. It's more, you can be yourself. You don't have to be scared to say the wrong thing. But also, it has this emergent property where the group itself will end up being smarter than the sum of its parts. Uh, this is, you know, this is the history of kind of science institutions, right? You have people all over the world. doesn't matter who you are, what language you speak, how old or young you are, whether you lived 100 years ago or today. Your hypotheses and your experimentation can, can add into the great scientific, you know, prog you know uh, uh, process that that is worldwide and you can you can you know you know einstein living hundreds of years after newton can can work to disprove newton's theories um and that's this you know this culture of disagreement it's cool to say here's a paper on why that paper is wrong that's great and that's and then you know there's peer review so anyway that's an example of like what and look at all the knowledge we've gained you know we now know about the big bang because you know instead of thinking the earth is flat we go from thinking the earth is flat to understanding the cosmos through this process. That's smarter than any individual human. No human knows how to do that. Right. No, no human can build a skyscraper or an iPhone, but together we can. Now, the other side, when low-rung thinking takes over, a whole different part of our brain wakes up, and it's this part that is very, A, we identify with our individual ideas, but as a group, the group is centered around. We all agree on these ideas. That's who we are. We are the these people, and these people are the people that agree with them. That bad group, they disagree with this. So if yeah. you change your mind, you're not just wrong. You're part of the bad group. You're not in our group mm -hmm. anymore. We hate you now. So obviously, there's so much pressure to conform. That is a that is a culture, and this can be an, an This can be the smallest group, a, a married couple, where one mm -hmm. member knows you just don't bring up politics and don't disagree with my spouse about politics because right. it's not that is being an, an echo chamber is being imposed on the couple. It's like, but we all better agree on this. And that can, of course, be a huge group as well. It can be a whole political culture, a whole movement where it's like, if you're in this movement, you know, no scientist behavior, you better say we are right about everything and they are the bad guys and we are, you know, solidarity. So once we're in that zone, that's a, we, we make a very different kind of giant, an emergent giant. And it's, you know, yeah, I call it the, the golem because it's like this big, dumb, tramping, powerful, scary, but stupid, so stupid, you know, Godzilla type thing. And that's a great right. way to, if you want to overthrow the government, form a big goal and maybe you can do it. If you want to defeat the other country in war, create a goal. No one's, you know, conformity and soldiers. You know, we're all here. We're under the same flag and we have the same mission and we, we do, we're following the same orders. So it's a great way to use brute force to murder and overpower. Um, and sometimes that's necessary. If you have a horrible, you know, evil dictatorship, maybe that's how you, but in the, yeah liberal democracy like ours it's doesn't it's really out of place and it's not good for anyone so let me move just swiftly on to one you, you put a, a whole lot of really interesting facts in here which i think help and and you do help to define terms as well you know the way people argue has become 
I think it's been dumbed down as well. Like, for example, you talk about confirmation bias. You talk about the Martin Bailey way of arguing. You talk about various terms which people, straw manning, which people who think they're smart throw into arguments, but they don't even necessarily understand the definitions of these things. And it helps to be equipped. First of all, if you just want to have meaningful conversations with the definition, but also if you actually want to make a valid point without falling into the, the traps that so many people fall into when they start talking about things like politics. Um, you talk about amazingly, and I mean, this is just one of the things I'm going to quote. This is how people are randomly associated in a geographical region. And then as they become more politically polarized, uh, depending on the percentage of that polarization, shows you how it polarizes their actual geographical location. I mean, here's a 20% bias percentage that you detail. So this is when, um, and correct me where I'm wrong here, but this is when people have about a 20% likelihood of being biased politically against Well, people. no, no, no. It, it, it specifically here, this, this definition is, it's if there's blue you know, blue squares and yellow triangles living in a, in a you know, neighborhood, whatever. People around and, you. And, and if everyone says, I like diversity, I'm fine to be around. If I'm a blue square, I'm fine to be, you know, neighbors with a bunch of yellow triangles. I just want at least 20% of my immediate touching neighbors to be like me. So right. if two... If two, you know, out of the seven or, or, you know, one out of the five is a blue triangle, a blue square, I'm fine if the rest are yellow triangles. And what you end up with here is it's very easy to create a very diverse and mixed up region. But when you up that percentage. Yeah, that's what yeah. you got here. As soon as you say that, you know, so let's look at the one on the right. I mean, this is still someone who says I'm down with diversity. I just don't want to be the minority in my neighborhood. I would like to have. Um, you know, if there's five neighbors, I would like three of them to be like me and two not, not the other way around. If everyone feels mm -hmm. that way, you end up with zero diversity, complete and utter segregation, because there's otherwise there's no way to make everyone happy. And, you know, on the left, even a 33 percent, if you say, you know, if I have six neighbors, I just want two of them to be like me. You still there's no way to really do that without <laughs> making people unhappy, without you to have everyone have that. You end up with total segregation. And this, of course, is then a metaphor for when we start saying I, I you know I, I don't mind if they're if I'm a progressive I don't mind if there's conservatives in my town but I want it to be you know I want it to, there to be largely progressive I want it to be a, a lot of progressives you know at, at least right. at least half you're gonna have no conservatives in that town if everyone feels that way because conservatives and, and if they feel the you, same way are not going to want to move there they're going to move to the conservative town and suddenly even though people are totally down with diversity political diversity it is Complete segregation. Of course, this also applies to race and other other ways you can be diverse or segregated. And of course, this is where people pull out their lawn signs, and that only helps to extend the echo chambers. And eventually, you have people who just don't want to live in the same country, right? It's a self-perpetuating cycle because what happens then is when you have a bunch of progressives all living together and a bunch of conservatives over there in the other town, again, even if most of these people are totally reasonable, you know, they're, 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 they're not sure what they think about everything and they're totally down to change their minds and they like hanging out with people across the aisle. Very quickly, these, this, this kind of psychology takes over where when, and there's, there's studies on this, I, I cite a couple in the book where when you get a group of people together with their own kind mm -hmm. and you have them deliberate on a certain topic, 
So a bunch of people on the left are going to talk about hot political topics with each other. And a bunch of people on the right, what happens is the whole groups, they move farther apart. The left group becomes even more left. The right group becomes even more right. Um, And when there's a lot of diversity, then people are open to diversity. They like it. It's, it's It's a value. This can go to college or somewhere else. If there's enough, you know, progressives and conservatives, and people like having both. As soon as it becomes over a certain amount and becomes pretty much all one side, it becomes very hostile to diversity. And suddenly mm. now there's incentive to have more conformity because more conformity, because if you have, um, if, you, if you're, you know, if you're um, a uh, conservative professor at a university and there's 25% of the university professors are conservatives, you're fine, right? People value diversity. There's plenty of other people. As soon as that percentage goes down to 10 or 5%, there becomes a credible hostility to those 10 or 5%. Um, as the minority gets smaller and smaller, it becomes harder and harder to be it. So then what people go keep their views to themselves or they leave more likely. So they, they'll leave the town, they'll leave the church, they'll leave the university, whatever it is. And so it's kind of a, a, a there's a feedback loop that happens. Is, you know, once it's, this cycle starts, and this, by the way, look at America's political parties. They were totally overlapped in ideology and mixed up and there were conservatives on the, on, on um, in the Democrats and and Republicans had lots of progressives. Once that starts to go uh, like a trickle, it starts to move. Suddenly, it, it speeds up, and now you can't win an election if you're not. And before you know it, it is completely segregated by ideology. This is a good place for me to bring in the fact that you also go into the history of like the Republican Party, which I found fascinating because a lot of people have this hazy idea about what Republicans were like back in the fifties or sixties, and it's nothing like what most people think. Again, you know, this idea that we, we, we have confirmation bias or you have an inherent hostility inside you for whatever you perceive conservatives to be. And then you go into, into the left as well and you talk about in great detail the evolution of postmodernism, of, of Marxism, of liberalism, and of what those things have given birth to. We talk about the word woke. I mean, you really go into the origins of lots of these things and talk about people who, who have become for good or for bad, household names, people like, um, you know, Robin D'Angelo or Larry Elder. Um, and, and I think that this is a very, very useful text for people to go through in order to get an overall comprehension of what's happening in America right now, because it's all too easy. And you do also go into Trump and you kind of go into Obama and all of that stuff. But that's, that's almost the easy surface level stuff. It's too easy for people to just hop on the bandwagon with their preconceived notions and not to actually know the stories. I think that's really valuable. I mean, if you, if you, the danger, if you do that is if, if you are, are, if you're in your head, you're thinking like, you know, in the U S there's two teams. It's very unnuanced. There's the blue left-wing progressive Democrats. And then there's the red conservative Republicans. And if in your head, for example, your mindset is blue, good, red, bad, right? And that's just, and you're just locked into that. Mm -hmm. You now are hugely vulnerable to if a new movement emerges that wears blue and says, we are the, 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 the champions of blue and this is what the new blue is and that's red and that's bad. And everyone who disagrees with us is red and that's bad. You're going to say, great, I'm on board because it's blue. Uh, but if that movement, if you don't, if if, you, if you're not critically assessing it, it might be completely contrary to why you liked blue in the first place. 
Um, so I use the, the woke movement as an example here is I'm someone who always voted left. I voted for Obama. I'm like all about liberal social justice, gay marriage, mm -hmm. all of that, you know, like so many people I know, you know, we were all, it's very, that was very simple for me. It was like clearly gay oh, marriage. You live, you live in New York. If you, if you lived in New York and you didn't think that way, you probably wouldn't have any friends. Okay, well, it, it's it's just even even conservatives in this country, you know, the, the 60s civil rights movement, you know, we're all about it now. Gay marriage, you know, took a little while, but it's pretty popular, you know, country nationwide now. Obviously, women's suffrage, if you go way back, every American is pro-women's suffrage. You, you, uh, you get Republicans, even Republicans from the South who are so, you know, uh, powerfully behind Martin Luther King now that it's 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 kind of unfathomable based on the history totally. of the South. And you know where but those so, people voted before. If you're saying blue, good, red, bad, and you think Martin Luther King is great, right? He was classic blue, right? Social justice. And then you say, Oh, I guess I'm woke now because that's what the cool blue people are doing. You just without realizing it are signing on to a movement that is the polar opposite of what Martin Luther King preached. The polar opposite. It's much more right-wing to me than it is. It's radical left, but it has a lot of, uh, you know, when you get really radical, you have a lot in common with really, really kind of regressive um, uh, right-wing stuff. And so part of this book was, it's like, I wanted to, I, I wanted to try to steal man. You know, again, we call it wokeness. That's kind of has baggage. So I don't even use that term. I call it social justice fundamentalism. And it's not even that I think it is necessarily pure bad. I think it is a an ideology. I think it can teach us something. It's interesting, you know. It's interesting right. to learn about. It's super left. It questions well, everything it, down to the foundations. Take one because I, again, I want people to read the book for themselves. But let's just take one subject which comes up quite often, and which I've encountered with friends of mine. I mean, real friends who are on the, the extreme left, and who always show me this picture. And you can just talk us through this because you do this so well in the book. And I mean, give us a pricey. You don't have to, you know, go on in detail. You do. In, in the book beautifully, but just give us an idea here of what's going on. So obviously for people who are listening, instead of looking, they're those three fans watching a football game and they're all standing on boxes, looking over the, the, the wooden fence, but the one person's very short. So it's called equality because they all have the same box to stand on. Then the next box, the next, uh, you know, uh, drawing is the same three people, but the tall guy doesn't have a box the medium-sized person still has a box, and then the very short person has two boxes, and they call that equity. And then you've added a third picture, which sometimes they don't, of justice, where all three people are looking through a fence so that you don't need the wall at all. So here, the wooden fence is supposed to represent like systemic institutional oppression so 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 not you know the behavior of individuals but that, that that there's actually like you know built in structures that elevate certain groups and and oppress other groups and right. that's built into the fabric of the country um and so when you say is it a quality of opportunity you know everyone can go to public school everyone can apply for a job everyone can try to run mm -hmm. for office whatever it is start a business they're saying that doesn't do the job because the wooden fence is still there um, so uh, the second pane says, you know, we need to actually use wooden boxes. Um, the, the wooden boxes here represent something like affirmative action. You know, we need to actually have adjust the, you know, give certain groups a springboard that other groups don't have uh, in order to level, in order to kind of uh, account for the fence and mitigate the effects of the fence until the final day 
when eventually we have a society without this systemic oppression and then you don't need then everyone can be on the same level ground and you know succeeding equally and everything's great that's um, cool that's equity and the last one i mean you don't, i said most of them don't include this one but that, you put yeah that, that that's that's the day when you finally have the wooden fence gone that's justice is when there is no need for affirmative action or something like that because there's no more systemic inequality there's just uh groups will naturally um, end up on the same playing field. Now, this is this is very much like one of the core bones of wokeness is is this concept. Um, now, I believe in liberal social justice with lowercase L, liberal, like Martin Luther King, kind of classic liberal take on social justice, which is says which says that liberalism is good. The house that we're all in here with that that the 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 Constitution is good. It hasn't always, we haven't always lived up to its promises and we need to do better, but that right. liberalism is good and Equal that free markets are good. Free speech, free competition. Yeah, free speech, equality of opportunity and, um, and, and treating people like individuals is good, whatever. Liberal social justice is very big and broad and it's open to all kinds of ideas. It's not a hardcore kind of ideology. So um, as someone who believes in that, what I would say is I don't look at that meme and I reject it, say that's bullshit. You know, like, you know, affirmative action is bad. I don't say that. I say, yeah, you know, like in, in the U.S., I mean, black Americans, they're five generations away from slavery and two or even in some cases, one away from like Jim Crow laws when there were, you know, different actual like an, an actual press, like apartheid, you know, situation. Um, and even more recently, you know, kind of bullshit laws like redlining and things that just have continued to kind of hold black Americans back. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people acquire generational wealth. And so like you get behind, once that starts to get behind, like it, it does create a long lasting effect. I'm fully on board with that. And I think that some level of kind of, I think that we should be doing something about that. Now, whether affirmative action is the best way or how much affirmative action, that's, I think, an open question. We should be open to debating. Um, right. I think that, you know, there's all kinds of different potential causes here. Um, that would have like black American um, income below white American income. But it's complicated and we should have like very vigorous analytical discussions about it. We should be trying new things. We should be open to every, there should be nothing sacred. You should say this program is not actually good. That's how you solve problems. Um, and you have to think about fairness. You know, if affirmative action is coming at the expense of Asian Americans getting into Harvard, which is what it has been doing, like, okay, well, maybe that's not the right, maybe that's not the way to do it if it's going to be totally unfair to another group. So um, this is nuanced and complicated and should be discussed like that. So my problem with the meme isn't that there's not times when a wooden box makes sense to elevate someone and that there's not some level of wooden fence there for different groups mm -hmm. in different ways. My argument is that it is really complicated and it should be very open and very discussed. And there should be conservatives have their own, uh, uh, their own views on this. They don't dismiss the idea of, you know, that there's inequality and stuff. They, they just have different, totally different. They would say we need to emphasize two parent families in the black community, which has gone from 75% right. of, you know, black children in the sixties grew up with two parents and 25% today. So some like crazy number. Um, they would talk about things. Great. Bring them into the room too. Let's have progressive views. Let's have, my problem is that in, in wokeness, they say that that if two groups are not don't have equal outcomes, they don't have the same income, they're not represented the same. There's only one reason that's happening, and it's a hundred percent because of oppression and 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 you know institutional racism. And the only fix for this, the only fix is you know 
stuff like affirmative action, like equity, box is actually doing or, double or, standards or know, reverse, reverse discrimination. And so they say that this is exactly what's true. And if you, <laughs> if anyone here suggests any other solution or any other diagnosis of the problem, you're a racist and we're going to get you fired. That the reason <laughs> I'm saying it's the opposite of Martin Luther King is like, if you, people on the left, they, what they ultimately care about is, you know, stuff like improving the lives of black Americans. If you take all the problem solving tools out of the room, silence all the discussion and, you know, come up with this very unnuanced and very you know, rigid kind of religious uh, prescription for it. You're the worst enemy of progress in this case. You are all you're going to do is build a ton of racial resentment and you're going right. to uh, you're, you're and you're not going to solve any problems at all. It's not how that's not how grownups solve problems. So this is if you if you're say blue, good, right, red, bad, and you're so attached to that, that's your identity. And now wokeness comes along you, without realizing it, you're going to be fighting for, in my opinion, an ideology that halts progress for the things that you care about. You know, there are so many different parts of this book that, that hint at things that we also tend to gloss over. I mean, you know, we, we, we throw around terms in society that have to do with what's going on politically. And, and maybe people who read this will find a lot of this stuff, oh, well, that, that's kind of obvious. But it, it helps to be as well-equipped as possible so that you can make sense of things, even if it's just so that when you hear people talking nonsense, you can kind of quietly inside smile or wince or whatever else it is, and move on. Because at the moment, we're so stuck. And I, I think it's worse in America than it is even in South Africa. And we have our own history of racial problems and, and uh, inequality and in, inequality of opportunity and plenty of other good stuff, which has made our history extraordinarily complicated. But somehow, I think America is at a place that is far more complex. Uh, for some reason, uh, maybe because America has been this very evolved society for a long time, been at the you know world hedonism uh, outlook. Maybe it's also the fact that that increased polarization in in America, and this is unavoidable under people like Donald Trump, uh, has has made it very very difficult for people on more or less the same ethical or moral basis to have conversations that actually end up solving problems. Um, Without going into into too much else in the detail that we have done, have you have you passed this book around to friends of yours, and what sort of reaction have you got so far? So I started talking about I started writing this in 2016, long time yeah. ago, and you know, and, and the way politics has changed and moved is ancient history. But I found that when I talked to this was before Trump was even president, he was running at the time when I started this, mm -hmm. um, and. When I talked to my progressive friends, they their reaction was usually something like, "There's a like le le legit like fascist that's about to be the president, like, um, you know, you know, or things like you know, he, you know, he's he's doing this like Muslim ban and all this. How could mm -hmm. you complain about anything going on in the left? Do you think the left is the problem right now? And I, first of all, I was never saying the left is the problem. I was saying that there's a deep problem which is producing both kind of um, a woke mob and Donald Trump and, and also flailing, you know, you know, misinformation around COVID and fueling, as I said, fueling conspiracy, all of this, this, this is one bigger problem, which is that we are as a society kind of in this downswing. But when I talked about that, the notion that anything that, 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 that the problem was anything other than the right 
was just like inconceivable. Now, um, so I think if I had published this back then, I would have gotten a ton of pushback from people on the left, probably. Um, and just because I partially because I have a lot more left readers than, you know, I think Trump, hardcore Trump people would hate my message as well. Um, I think conservatives who don't like Trump, just like it's progressives who favor Martin Luther King over wokeness, they love these ideas because they're, you know, this is this is right in line with them. Um, but uh, the times changed in that, you know, I think by 2018, 2019, I think that a lot of more people were fatigued with the culture wars and with um, mobs and with, you know, cancellations sure. and Trump himself, you know, sick of him. Um, and and then I, I, but I still think it was slow. To, and then we had George Floyd in the U.S. And the protests, which then turned into riots, which then turned into people getting fired, which then turned into people overhauling the administrations of companies all across industries and rehire and, 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 you know, and, and hiring new people that were much more kind of into bringing wokeness into the workplace. And, um, and a lot of people, I think, started to say, okay, I think this is not such a good thing. This is, uh, you know, this is, this has gone too far or whatever. Um, and just as, as I, I'm just giving a few examples. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's stuff going on now with, you know, transgender issues uh again there's two convoluted things here there's the liberal social justice person says we should trans people should be included and safe and and accepted and they should be able to we should we should we should uh you know normalize this and and understand it and all this and then the woke person you know goes much farther and says you know you know that that if you disagree with kind of our extreme views on this you know you're transphobic and should be fired anyway people have gotten sick of it. And so I noticed that when I came out with this book, it was 2023. Most people I know, um, left and right, I think were pretty open to this message. And so on one hand, I think, you know, it could have made a bigger kind of splash earlier. Uh, I could have, you know, could have, you know, maybe changed a bunch of minds. Um, but it also would have run against a lot of minds that were not ready to be changed yet. I think today, it, it, I'm hoping it changes a lot of minds. But also, I'm hoping that people who have kind of come around, like you're talking about, mm. who who feel like I, I, they're uncomfortable with the way things are going, and they feel like maybe like they're, they're politically homeless a little bit. I yeah. want to tell those people: A, you're not alone. B, here are a bunch of ways to articulate what you may be feeling, and and to think about this through a framework that might help help everything make sense. And C, encourage you to start speaking out because you're not alone, and it's the silence of all these very reasonable, moderate people that I know, it's the silence that has allowed things to get this bad. So start speaking out and, you know, you know, you owe it to yourself to represent yourself correctly in the world. And if you're pretending to be something you're not, or you're even just, you know, silencing yourself, you're not doing yourself very much respect. You're, you're, you're letting fear of, you know, social consequences. No one's going to hang you. You know, we're not in the, we're not the, it's not the Maoist. You're not going to be beaten to death or, or executed. You know, we're not in Nazi Germany. You're, you're going to get, maybe you're going to get some criticism. Um, and you may be surprised. You may be surprised to find out that you're actually in the majority once you start yes, speaking. Yes, you might be surprised right. to find how many people say, "You know what? I've been thinking the same thing. I didn't realize anyone else thought this." So that's that's kind of that's what I'm hoping for here. Well, I love it, and and Tim, you've done an absolutely terrific job here. I'm I'm looking forward to deploying a, a lot of this in my conversations with people who, especially people who are afraid to voice their own opinion for fear that they'll be cancelled, for fear that they'll be called names uh, for fear that all kinds of things will happen to them in, in society. And look, there are certainly, there are still 
very severe consequences for some people, particularly those who are not as independent maybe as you are or as I am. But I think the, the less we have to fear these conversations and the more we start taking them out into the world and, and allowing other people to vent and to, to, to put their own thoughts out there in an articulate way, the better we'll all be at those high-rung thinking uh, kinds of ways of doing things rather than these low-rung ones which are just making us detest each other, detest ourselves, and drag society down. It's just a delusion, you know? It's like if, if we're in this zone where we think, like, half of my country are evil and I hate them. Like, you're, you've lost yourself. Like, you've, for, you've, right. you, you, you've fallen into a tribal craze. And by the way, I'm not saying that this is something just other – I've done this. Like, we've all felt this. Mm. It's like you've forgotten that – people are three-dimensional and complicated and issues are complicated and, and, and that someone who disagrees with you, if you had their upbringing and you had their life experiences, you'd feel the same way. Um, and maybe there's some stuff you don't know. Maybe there's some stuff that you're wrong about. Like if you're not thinking those things, like you're just, you've fallen into this low wrong thinking. You've, 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 it's like a, it's like a, you know, it's a said, like I look at Nazi Germany. I'm like, how could human beings do that? It's like, we have the capacity to slip into really, bad modes that helped us survive 50,000 years ago, which is why we can slip into this mode. We all have this. And so to notice it and to just catch yourself and say, this is not real. Like there's not, you know, I'm not evil people everywhere. It's just not how it works. And that I'm not right about everything. Um, yeah, it can go a long way. Have you, have you noticed in South Africa, like, and these trends, I mean, are things getting, are, are, are is your society getting like less mature or is this just mine? Look, I think we're, we're certainly um, ordinary average us in South Africa. We're starting to stand up for ourselves and speak out a, a lot more. We, we come from, because of apartheid before you know, South Africa was a free country, people really didn't have opinions about the government because any opinion about the government would usually get you into trouble. And you had to be white to have an opinion about the government. And that was a real thing. Um, I think what's happening post-1994 here is that in the beginning, everybody, including black people, were afraid to, to challenge and criticize the new government because they thought, well, this government has brought us freedom, so we should go along with whatever they do. And obviously, that's changed an enormous amount in the last 10, maybe even 12 years, where people are now saying, and in the beginning, when I would speak out against them, it was always a question, oh, well, he must be racist. And now it's become much more, uh, I mean, there are more people on my side when I criticize them, because there are obvious reasons that we should be uh, skeptical in a, in a healthy way about what government in this country has done. Um, it's, it's a lot more nuanced. It's a lot more varied. There's, there isn't such consensus. There aren't these golems that you talk about that are moving across the landscape like they are in America. But that's not to say that we've solved any problems. I mean, we've still got a long way to go. And I think that's probably true for most countries in the world. But there is a general trend towards people being more authentic, people speaking their minds, people interrogating ideas, people not just bumping up against each other and calling each other names. That's great. I mean, what you're describing there with, if, if it's a situation when anyone who criticizes the government, the movement, the president, the ideology, whatever it is, is bad. What mm -hmm. happens is there's now no mechanism to there's no accountability for that entity that's, that uh, entity now can do whatever they want Mustache that you talk about in your book the what that's king mustache that you talk about in your book exactly if if if, if as soon as uh your your people are too scared to um 
to criticize something, that thing now will can get as bad and keep getting worse and worse and worse until people push back. So it's a much healthier, like what you're describing, is if people can detach criticism of this thing from being a good or bad person, but it's just a thinking person describing what they see. And there's not some evil motive behind it necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. That's huge. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Well, um, I cannot recommend the book enough, so I will put it up on the screen again. It is called What's Our Problem? A Self-Help Book for Societies. It's by Tim Urban, and he has been our guest. Thank you so much, Tim. It's great to talk to you, and um, I know you're busy with another book. Uh, are you going to give us some idea of what that's all about? It's called, uh, it's going to be about, the, it starts at the Big Bang, and it ends at the end of the universe. And I'm just going <laughs> to basically try to tell... Just a small, humble project then. <laughs> yeah, it's the biggest zoom out possible on like what the hell is going on and where is this all going? Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of a, it's, it's a fun project. Well, uh, keep the blogs coming as well. I mean, a lot of us have been fans of uh, all of that for a very long time. So thank you very much for the book. And uh, I hope you have an awesome week. Thanks, man. Thank you, Gareth. Thanks so much for having me on. Great to see you. Tim Urban, everybody. Cliffcentral.com.